0: Welcome to Artistic Beginnings. I'm Mitch. And I'm Melody.
1: We're siblings who grew up working in the entertainment industry and we're deeply impacted by the arts.
0: I'm a professional actor, singer, and dancer working in Los Angeles and New York, still pursuing an artistic career.
1: I, on the other hand, am no longer pursuing that career. I went on to become a researcher, though I'm still involved in the creative industry.
0: Artistic Beginnings is all about the winding artistic paths that creatives follow in their lives.
1: We share these inspirational stories with you so that you can
2: learn and grow as a creative.
0: So, let's get into it!
2: Well, I I remember always singing. I was always singing growing up. I was in you know, like the school choir, and it was a big deal when I got asked to sing the solo of The Rainbow Connection in my elementary school winter concert. From there, I think I was at a holiday party when I was about nine years old, where they made us sing for our supper, and believe it or not, I was very nervous and shy. I didn't want people to look at me, how things have changed. I said, I will sing for my supper, and I will sing Rainbow Connection, but I have to sing it from the bathroom. You can all sit here in the living room, but I will be in the bathroom so that nobody can look at me.
0: What a bold choice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I will, you, you make me sing for my supper, but I'm going to, I'm going to lay down the law. I'm going to throw in some rules here. So I did it. I sang Rainbow Connection from the bathroom of a friend's house. at I think like a Hanukkah party in Baltimore, Maryland, where I grew up. And from there, there was someone at that party. You know, my mom will say it was a talent scout. No, it was someone on the board of the local theater group. And they said, Hey, we're having auditions for Sleeping Beauty next week. You should do this. You should come audition. So I did. And they said, you have to bring a song. I didn't know anything about sheet music. So, you know, know, my signature tune, me and Kermit, with the Rainbow Connection. And my dad played guitar. So not knowing anything about sheet music or how any of this worked, my dad played guitar for me in my very first audition. So he played Rainbow Connection on guitar and I sang. And that's always a special memory I have with my dad. I booked it. Don't be don't be worried. I did get the job. I was cast as the pivotal role of the raccoon in Sleeping Beauty. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, you're familiar. Yeah, the raccoon and Sleeping beauty. Yeah, can
1: you actually recite the monologue that you have?
2: Okay. <laughs> yes. Are you ready? We're recording. Here we go. That was it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no lines. No lines. Like, what does a raccoon even say? Like, is they don't chirp. They don't, like, maybe they hiss when they don't get into their trash cans. I don't know. But... <laughs> But I was cast in Liberty Showcase Theater's production of Sleeping Beauty as the raccoon, and my mom made my costume, which, believe it or not, is still in her closet.
1: Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, jumping back into the episodes with Mel and I and the, our next guest, Brian.
0: Welcome. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Uh, I really enjoyed this episode. I feel like I enjoy all of them, but like this one especially.
1: Me too. And I do have to say that Brian really, really tells a great story and he tells a great many stories. These are just a oh core God, right? selection They're... of his his yeah. stories that he shared with us, which is really, really awesome. I mean,
0: obviously it's his job to be a storyteller, but it's just when you meet somebody who literally like that is what they do best. It's so incredible. Because you just, you know, you're like taken into a a whole new world. A whole new world. Nice. Thank you. But yeah, yeah, we we burned through a lot of topics with him, too, which is kind of exciting.
1: It may have been his storytelling, but it seemed like it was a very quick, fast paced path to, oh, this is what I'm doing. And I just keep on doing all the right things to then lead me to the greatest opportunity ever.
0: Oh, yeah. And I also think that his path is so... Out of the ordinary, which is so cool. Because I feel like a couple people have had kind of similar paths or similar discoveries, but his is like straight out of left field, which is very exciting to just kind of have someone who has had a completely different path than others.
1: Brian does share at the very end of the episode, which I'll, I'll foreshadow, I guess, with the fact that his path is very much driven by his willingness to say yes to oh, things. Yeah. And I think that's a really important factor in when you are deciding to go down a path saying no to things, thinking that they may not lead to something that you imagine is what your actual goal is can be somewhat detrimental. So I think he exudes a great attitude towards saying yes, up until the point that you can't mm-hmm. say yes
0: and that's you know he says this as well i don't want to take all of his <laughs> final question answers but um learning how and when to say no is very important as well and a hard lesson to learn but saying yes it will change your life and definitely did for him so why don't we jump into a wonderful story of his life entre brian michael hoffman
2: so from there, from my breakout role as the raccoon in Sleeping Beauty, I just started <laughs> I hope editing that's still for. That's your resume. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Special skills: raccoon monologist. From there, let's see that theater group was like my in and it was in like the sudbrook high school that was no longer in existence as a high school but we could use their auditorium and and very quickly like my mom and dad both ended up on the board of this thing and i was doing all of their shows even the Wiz, which you know for this podcast <laughs> you cannot see that i am very caucasian and should not <laughs> be in the Wiz, but i was <laughs> then one of the the earlier shows i did with them was beauty and the beast which was their version of Beauty and the Beast because Disney hadn't gotten around to it yet and I had my mm. first solo on stage as the Cabin Boy. Again you remember that pivotal scene when Belle's <laughs> father, who's not even Belle Beauty's father is on a ship and is being sung to by the Cabin Boy
0: Yes, yeah. I remember so, it so well
2: Quality mm. productions excellent scripts, groundbreaking storytelling right wow. here From there a few of my friends who were in the shows at this this local theater were working at a local dinner theatre in Baltimore and we're going to the Baltimore School for the Arts which is a performing arts high school in downtown Baltimore Baltimore City I lived in Baltimore County and I just started making friends with all the you know the other forest animals in Sleeping Beauty and the other dwarves <laughs> in Snow White and a few of them were like oh you should come audition for this dinner theater they do a children's dinner theater production to offset the evening show like the adult dinner theater is doing Gigi and Showboat and Can-Can and Sweet Charity and then on the weekends they would do Saturday morning Children's Dinner Theater. And everyone was, I think it was 16 and under. And it was Saturday mornings. And we would also, we would wait tables just like the adults at the Dinner Theater, except instead of a buffet and alcohol, it was hot dogs and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and like non alcoholic strawberry daiquiris that we were selling. So we would wait tables. How old were you? (laughs) I was nine. I was nine years old when I did my first show there. Absolutely. It was totally legal. It was even more legal by, you know, the fact that I was getting paid $7.50 to do this. But we did get to keep our tips. Yeah. So my first show there was a double bill of Rumpelstiltskin and The Emperor's New Clothes. This was at F. Scott Black's Towson Town Musical Dinner Theater. And I was Rumpelstiltskin. So not only now am I getting paid to do this, a whole $7.50, but I'm the lead. lead. I'm Rumpelstiltskin wearing a pig prosthetic nose as Rumpelstiltskin. (laughs) It was awesome, and yeah, like we would wait tables in our show shirts before the first act. Then we would go do the show. Then at intermission, we would like drop off their checks and everything in costume. So and do autographs and pictures, and and then again, like we got to keep our tips. So as I think you probably, it was totally great. (laughs) It was totally great. So I started working my way up the ranks in this children's dinner theater, and you know, to the more pivotal roles like the Cowardly Lion, who Mm. eventually got ten dollars a show Mm. instead of seven. 50. I got a raise. And from there, (laughs) I started working at the adult dinner theater. So I basically, for many years, just lived at Towson Town Dinner Theater in in Maryland, in Baltimore, Maryland, because I aged into the roles Mm -hmm. that, you know, like a 14-year-old boy can play. You can play Henry in Shenandoah. You can be the youngest brother in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Coincidentally, Andy Carl also grew up in this program, except he was Andrew Szyzewski then. So he grew up in the, the Baltimore theater circuit. So I started doing all the shows at the dinner theater. Then I auditioned for the Baltimore School for the Arts, which is a performing arts high school. It was a nine hour day, four hours of academics, one hour of lunch, four hours of your arts concentration. And I got accepted. And truly the Baltimore School for the Arts, one of their slogans is we change kids' lives. And that is Absolutely true. I knew very mm. early on I did not want to be a jock. And I did not want to be a fashion designer. And for some reason, those were the only two options that everybody else in <laughs> my middle school—that's what they wanted to do. And here I was singing and dancing, and you know I didn't go to Sunday school or Hebrew school or anything like that because that was happening on the weekends when I was playing Winnie right. the Pooh in yeah. the children's dinner theater production of Winnie the Pooh. You were working. So, you didn't have yeah, time. Yeah, I was working. Right. So I was on a very different path. And truly, the Baltimore School for the Arts changed my life. And I was, I was in their theater program and Tracy Toms was in my ensemble. I did cross paths with like Jada Pinkett and Tupac, like crazy, just crazy. They, they really did change my life and just put me on the right path to how I can do this moving forward, like as a career. From there, I went to Syracuse University as a musical theater major and English minor. So Syracuse University, musical theater major. Syracuse, I love. It's the coldest I've ever been in my life. Snow <laughs> literally up to my nose, just wow. a path plowed from my dining hall to my dorm. But the the great thing about the drama department at Syracuse is it is a conservatory program in a university setting. The drama department is off of the main campus, off of the hill. And it truly, like, we are in a bubble. And I would go up mm-hmm. on the hill to take my English stuff and and a, a voice lesson with the School of Music, but we really were a conservative setting, on top of which the building for Syracuse Drama Department also houses... Syracuse Stage, which is an equity regional house. So not only was I getting this incredible conservatory program, but I was also working with and observing all of the actors and directors and designers that were coming up from New York to work on the Syracuse Stage programs. It worked, again, in my favor, when in my junior year at Syracuse, Bob Moss came in as the artistic director for Syracuse Stage. Bob Moss, like, founded the Hangar Theater in Ithaca and is this little, like, spitfire. Like, he's just, like, a ball of energy. And he, for his first season at Syracuse Stage, he decided that he wanted to bridge the gap between the drama department and Syracuse Stage. We're in the same building. We're all working towards the same goals. How can we get these two to work hand in hand instead of just coexisting? So he decided to create an understudy program for Syracuse Stage, where the underclassmen at Syracuse University, the drama department, could audition to understudy the Syracuse stage productions. And the first show that they did that with was Jacques Brel is alive and well and living in Paris. And I was cast as one of the five student understudies. Now, that was super cool. Like, we weren't getting equity points. We weren't getting paid. It was just you get to do this. Yeah, you just get to be in the room. So I got cast as one of the five understudies and it was all students and we all sat there with our notebooks and went to music rehearsal and went to staging and everything like that. And the stage manager and Gabe, our director saw that even though there was no chance there was no moment that like nobody was going on we were just the understudies it was just there for the experience but then my guy got sick my guy got sick and it was a matter of we cancel the weekend of shows or we give brian his equity card and so that is what happened (laughs) yeah Yeah. So I went on a great
0: equity card story.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It was great. Yeah. So out of college, I had about a year to a year and a half of work lined up. And even though I had my card because I was still in college, equity at that point let me take all of the work and just take my time paying off my equity card. So I could still Mm -hmm. do equity and non equity. I don't know that they would let anyone do that now. Probably but, not, but nice yeah, that you got not. to do it. <laughs> but very nice that I got to do it. And one of the last things that I did in that like year before I paid off my card was I was cast in a non-ec tour of Annie. And another moment that just changed my life. I I went into this audition and sang whatever I sang. And the casting director said, great, can you come back at two? You're singing for Martin. Get a sport coat. And I was like... <laughs> What? What is happening? Like, I don't have a sport coat with me. Like, what am I... And Martin... You're singing for Martin. What is, who is this Martin that you're singing for? And it turned out that it was, it was Martin Sharnan, who was the original director and one of the creators of Annie. And I remember that audition. I I found a sport coat. I don't remember where I found it, but I got a sport (laughs) coat somewhere. I was singing, I'm sitting on top of the world, which is an old Al Jolson Mm. song. And Martin looked at me after I did it and he was like, he said, if you're going to do Al Jolson, you got to do Al Jolson. So he said, do it again and somehow end up on one knee a la man. Annie, how I love you. And I was like, okay, I don't know who you are. i am just got a sport coat. And now you want me to do Al Jolson? And let's refer back to Brian in The Wiz, very Caucasian. But I did it. And this was going to be the the non-actor that came off of the 20th anniversary, like, production in New York of Annie. And I was cast as Mr. Bundles and Harold Ickes. Mr. Bundles, of course, gets Annie out of the orphanage in the very beginning of the show. Pivotal. Show wouldn't happen unless he gets her out of the orphanage. And two crazy things happened. The first one... Was Martin saw that I looked much younger than our actress playing Miss Hannigan. And the original script of Annie, Bundles is hitting on Miss Hannigan. He comes in, hey Aggie, how's the prettiest gal south of 14th Street? And she's like, oh Bundles, still up to that same old malarkey. Like she's shooing him off. But here it didn't work because here was a younger man hitting on Miss Hannigan. Why wouldn't she pounce on me? So he rewrote that scene to have her hitting on Bundles. And now that is the licensed version of the yeah. script that is out there. You know, it's it's her hitting on me mm-hmm. and him being disgusted. So that was the first of many gifts that Martin Sharnan gave me. I was just Mr. Bundles and Harold Ickes and the firemen in NYC and, you know, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to do with Sandy.
1: Hey! Mitch here. Just wanted to give you a little context on what Brian just said. So Brian, if you're not aware, works with animals and is a dog trainer, an animal trainer, and works in the performing arts with animals specifically on this kind of thing. Works with Bill Berloni, who is the biggest name when it comes to animal training for these kinds of shows, for live shows, for, for film and television, I think, too. We're going to go into more depth when it comes to the next episode, so stay tuned next week and hear some great stories, like how Bill actually found the very first Sandy for the first production of Annie. Let's get back to the program.
2: And Bill's rule is that if you're not the kid in the red dress if you're not the girl in the blue gingham if you're not Elwoods Woods like when we start rehearsals we have a very tight a very small circle because the cast has been working for months and you know we all speak English we all speak the same language and now we're bringing a dog in who understands the commands and you know suddenly we're throwing them out in front of an audience of 1400 people so mm-hmm. you really start with the circle very very small rehearsals would be just Annie and Sandy and the director and, and Bill the, the trainer and then eventually you introduce Lieutenant Ward, because Lieutenant Ward does the scene. Eventually, you introduce Warbucks and Grace because they have that moment at the end of the show. You just start rehearsing the people that come in direct contact with the animals first. So, on a national tour, Bill obviously is happily very, very busy and cannot travel with a national tour for a year or two years because, in the span of that year, He might have three Broadway shows. He might have two Mm -hmm. commercials. He might have a print ad. He might have a a movie or two in there. He might be filming Sesame Street. All of these crazy things that he does on a daily basis. So he hires handlers to travel with the animals and to be with them 24-7. And... So on that Annie tour, we had a, a gentleman named Patrick and Patrick was new to working with Bill and he'd worked with Bill up at his farm in Connecticut for a while. And he, he'd he worked with Buster and Lola and then Bill set up all the rehearsals for the tour with our Annie and was there for tech. And then eventually Bill said, you got this. You're great. Mm-hmm. And it was a bus and truck tour at the time, but also a bus and truck with orphans. We had, you know, we had right. the, the kids and, their and mothers. they had school <laughs> and their mothers, but schoolwork. So we yeah. had quiet hour you know in the morning if it was early we had school time so the, the adults we had to keep quiet for the majority of our bus rides because the kids were in school in the back of the bus that got old for me real fast and I noticed that Patrick who was driving Buster, who was our Sandy and Lola, our understudy, he had the dog van and he was responsible because the dogs weren't going to be on the bus with us he was responsible for driving Buster and Lola from city to city on this like maybe we were in a city for a week but a lot of times we were split weeks and even one nighters where we're in a new city every single night and so Patrick was responsible for driving, not just maintaining the show once we got to these venues but the the 24-7 care and transportation of these two dogs who were more highly insured than anyone else in the cast. True story. Yeah, (laughs) you know. So I just noticed that Patrick wasn't always making it to the next city on time for the sound check. Because in every venue, you have to do a sound check. Your set's going to be your set. Costumes will right. be your costume. But the sound can be a little different from from venue to venue. So yeah. any any first night that we were in a new venue across the country, we had a two-hour call instead of the normal like half-hour call. And I mm-hmm. just noticed a few times in a row, Patrick didn't always make it to that, that six o'clock sound check. And so I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. This is my way off of the bus. And I said, Hey, if you ever need help driving, I love to drive. Let me help you. And he was like, Great, here's a key. I mean, honestly, it was kind of selfish. I had a great bus buddy who is still a dear friend of mine.
0: The same thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah. But suddenly on a national tour, I had a free car in every city. And it meant I could go to the laundromat. I could go to the grocery store. I could go to the movies, the post office. I could go to Disneyland. And Patrick had cleared this with Bill. My track would never interfere with Sandy's track in the show. So I was, I was safe. But God, more importantly, yeah. it meant that Patrick and the dogs were safe. What we didn't know was that Patrick was very heavily into drugs and alcohol and was a diabetic. Oh no. You put those three elements in charge of a van, again, with our two most highly insured cast members. It's just not the best combination. Bill didn't know this of Patrick when he hired him. And Patrick, of mm. course, was on his best behavior whenever Bill was around. But on a national tour, you know, your isms. Sneak in. So Patrick saw that suddenly he had someone to help him out. And that's truly what I was. And he said, I'd really love to go out and have a drink after the show tonight. How would you feel about having Buster and Lola sleep in your hotel room? Oh my gosh, I'm not Annie, but I get to have a sleepover with the dogs? Where do I sign? So I eventually was driving the dogs. They were sleeping over in my hotel room while Patrick was going out and, you know, exploring every bar across the country. But everybody was still safe because I was helping out. One morning we were up in Toronto and it was like five o'clock in the morning. My hotel phone rang and it was the company manager who said, you have Buster, right? And I was like, yeah, it's five o'clock in the morning. What do you want? He said, you would talk to a Coke bottle if I asked you to, right? And I was like, what do you want? It's five o'clock in the morning. He said, we're scheduled to be on Good Morning Toronto in an hour or so. We can't find Patrick. You have Buster. Will you come and do this interview for us? I woke up real fast. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, okay, what? What's happening? I said, I mean, sure, yes of course I'll do anything to help you out. I said, but this is this is Patrick talking about Bill. I said, I I shook Bill's hand in New York, but I wasn't in But that's it. You know, like I know the urban legend. If you're working on Annie, you hear stories about Martin. You hear stories about Bill. You know all these things. I don't know Bill's story enough to go on morning talk shows to do this. Right. And the company manager said, no, just do it. Just, you know, you're going to sit there with Buster on the sofa. They're going to be looking at the dog and talk about your travel experience on the road in a show with kids and dogs. Because Wicked doesn't have that. Jersey Boys doesn't have that. We are... We're different and you can talk about it yeah. from that aspect. And I was like, okay, cool. I did the interview. It went very well, clearly, because we're sitting here talking about all of this.
0: Right, yes. <laughs> we,
2: we, cut, <laughs> we cut to commercial and the company manager takes out the cell phone, calls Bill and says, Bill, we're paying the wrong person. And, you know... What happened in the next few weeks was the company had to honor Patrick's contract, and Mm -hmm. they did. And then when it was time to renew, they realized since my actor track had nothing to do with the dog track, they could hire me to do both. I could do all the Sandy stuff, the driving, Mm -hmm. the hotel, the 24-7 care. I could do my actor track, and I could do everything involving getting Sandy
1: Right, to the, the off-stage
2: stage track too, yeah, yeah the offstage track right because sandy doesn't just take the elevator to the stage you know and go yeah. on stage like someone's <laughs> gotta get him to his dressing room put his little rope collar on get him to the stage make sure mm. he's walked and peed and pooped before he goes out you know like yeah. all the things that we don't necessarily think of but yeah the company realized they could pay me like time and a half. And save money on salary, money on a second per diem, money on a second hotel room. So at that point, the tour was non-equity. I had signed for a year... But at that point, I had to finish paying off my equity card and was not allowed to do the second year of the non ac tour of Annie. So that's when Bill said, if you really want to do this, we should talk. So we talked. And he said, I've never done this before. I've never had an actor who is also my handler because actors are always looking for the next best gig. And I spend too much time and energy training you to lose you after two shows. So if you wanna do this, I need a commitment from you. And I said, Bill, I love everything about you And what you do and how you do it but i am an actor first however let's refer back to brian is a character man and needs time to grow into his character roles so i said annie can't be the only show that i can do double duty on and as it turns out it's not he said just let me know what your schedule is let's always stay in constant contact so that i can say hey, I've got, you know, a Wizard of Oz in six months, or I've got an Annie, you know, next summer. Do you want to do it? And I said, cool. And theaters started hiring me. Bill, like, became a, a version of an agent for me, as well as right. a version of a father to me, because he then realized that the theaters were more quick to call him when they saw they could get Bill Berloni, they could get the guy, but save a little money. And the theaters called and said, we don't know if we can afford you, and Bill said I have a way that you can and they would hire me on my equity contract and then just give me a little bump to take care of Sandy or Toto right. or Bruiser yeah. and then I go out to these regional productions and he doesn't even need to show up you know they still get Bill in the in the bio and it's a right. Bill Berloni yeah. dog he's done all the groundwork with these animals but I know his shorthand I know how yeah. I maintain it but I'm also as a performer I'm aware of okay this set is different than that set let's modify this to best fit your director vision or your Mm -hmm. scenic vision so I've now done a bajillion versions of Annie and Legally Blonde and The Wizard of Oz and all of these shows that that we have in our Rolodex that I can work hand in hand with a director and say here's what is typically done what is your dream what do you want because it doesn't have to be open box lay out the parts put it together like a Lego kit We can create something because I know these animals. I know what these animals can and can't do. Yeah, so I've been working with Bill now. December will be 20 years that I've worked with him. He is my day job. He is my side hustle. He is one of my best friends. He is the reason that I have health insurance most of the time. But he's also the reason that I've worked at so many incredible theaters across the country and a lot of times more than once. Because I'll go and do Annie at North Carolina Theater and then they'll call back and say, hey, we're doing this, come in and audition. And they'll bring me back for a show that has no dogs. because right. but you get your they, foot in
0: the door. They already yeah. know me.
2: Yeah, and they and the theaters get to know me in a different way than they would someone who is just a cast member. Because I kind right. of straddle the line between cast and production. I am a department head, and so everybody in that building gets to know me. The marketing certainly wants to get to know me because I've got the dog.
1: For you, what is the hardest thing about pursuing the arts?
2: As we know, I have not had a typical journey, so it hasn't been where's my next paycheck coming from or where's my next gig, which I know is a very like silver spoon problem to have. I think it's been maintaining a relationship with my family. My family is all, I grew up in Baltimore, but my family now lives in Greensboro, North Carolina. And there have been health issues over the years. There have been moments where I really should have been there. And because of my work and my work schedule, I have not been able to be there as much as I would like to have been. And because of the health issues, it's meant that my family hasn't been able to travel as much to see me perform. It's really if I'm in like a two hour radius of them, they, they see me. My mom had a really bad health scare coming up on four years ago. And it just so happened that I got a contract to play Billis in South Pacific at a theater eight minutes from the hospital where she eventually ended up for a few months. So just, you know, somebody put me right where I was supposed to be, whether I wanted to be there or not. But I, I will say, I wouldn't be surprised if most of the people that you talk to say job security or paycheck or paying my rent. I've been very fortunate to be able to do those things by having my career as Brian the actor And my career as Brian, the dog boy, my affectionate term Mm -hmm. for myself, and double dutying. But I would say it's certainly, I don't get to see my family as much as I would like to. Because Annie's usually done at Christmas. Wizard of Oz is usually done during the summer. So the times that I might have a few weeks off in between gigs to go see my family, I'm usually working. So I have to time out my visits with my family differently. And sadly, they don't get to come see me as much. So yeah, I would say it's family stuff has been the hardest part to maintain through this, yeah.
0: I feel like that's a pretty regular problem for a lot of people, especially people yeah. who move from different states to New York or yeah. California. It's tough. Yeah. It is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But one thing, I mean, here in this moment, we're finding how easy it is to have virtual happy hour over FaceTime or Facebook oh, Messenger yes. or Zoom. It's great. And <laughs> it is great. It is great. And I really hope that if that's the one good thing to come out of this, that yeah. we can see, even if we're not hugging, but if I were in North Carolina, I couldn't hug them anyway. So right. at Least yeah. we can see each other, and I do hope that the video calls will continue once we, you know, yeah. tell Anna and Elsa to open up the gates. <laughs>
0: yeah no I I agree our next question is definitely not on the same path at all okay what is your favorite piece of art right now
2: my favorite piece of art oh my gosh this okay this goes back to being selfish my favorite piece of art right now I have started uncle brian's art class on like on video chatting so is that wrong to say that it's my own thing but I love doing it I want to know
0: what it is yeah
2: yeah so okay so can
0: I join uh, yes of course
2: <laughs> yes, of course. So I, we didn't talk about this, but I worked for Disney for three years, no dogs involved, but I opened up Tokyo Disney Sea, which is their second park in Tokyo, Japan. And I was there for the opening, and I was there on and off for about three years between Tokyo Disney and Disney Cruise Line between 01 and 05. They did three total years, but broken up between those Mm. those four years so i have a lot of very close very dear friends who still live in japan either they are japanese or they are americans who fell in love and got married and stayed there and one of my best friends is married one of my best american friends married my best japanese friend and they have three kids together and they are still in japan at this moment the mother Wanted to bring her kids back to the states. She's originally from Kansas, but they got stuck in Japan. I mean, they lived there full time, but in right, this moment, yeah. in this moment, she wanted to come home, and they weren't able to get out in time. And there are three kids, and just three kids on an international flight, and yeah, that's a lot. Airports <laughs> and cars and taxis. It was a lot, and and so they are there so I was talking to her right before Easter and she wasn't sure if they were going to find eggs for the Easter bunny and I said what can I do and she said I just I do not know and I said let's have an art class let's draw something let's draw the Easter bunny I'll teach the girls how to draw the Easter bunny and then we can also cut out the shape of eggs and we can draw them and we can design them just in case you can't get eggs in this moment we can create like instead of dying easter eggs we're gonna sharpie easter eggs and hide them around the apartment she was like a goldfish blink blink you can do that like what's happening and she (laughs) turned the computer over to the two girls and i taught them how to draw the easter bunny and i taught them like we designed easter eggs and the girls loved it so much they said can we do a spring chick tomorrow so you know (laughs) japan is like 16 hours ahead so their morning is our night before so Mm. yeah i had a whole day To prep drawing a a chick popping out of an easter egg and and i saw that it gave her 40 minutes to do the laundry to do the dishes to clorox wipe her groceries that were being dropped off at the apartment and it kept my brain active doing something else for 40 minutes. So I started doing that with them on a regular basis. And then my goddaughter in New York City lives five blocks north of me and truly is like my heart that exists outside of my body. And basically, I'm the third parent to her. She comes over and we do like cooking videos in my kitchen or crafts in my kitchen. And I am now not in New York City. And I miss her very, very much. And I said to her mom and her dad, I said, would you like, can I do this with her? And they said, Oh my gosh, can you please? We haven't cleaned dishes in four days. So it just started happening. And then she said, Well, I want my two best friends from school to do this. So now I have, we call it Uncle Brian's Art Class, and I have about 14 kids who are the kids of some of my nearest and dearest adult friends who need 45 minutes to do the dishes or to do laundry or to figure out their Instacart order. And so now I have kids in Japan, California, New York, Kansas, Florida, all over the place. And they say, we want to draw Pikachu or we want to draw Olaf. And so I sit there and I Google how to draw Elsa or how to draw an LOL girl. And then I break it down into easy shapes, short lines and do a step-by-step tutorial with, you know, these kids on how to draw Darth Vader or. a job, Boba Fett. And
0: that's amazing.
2: I love doing it. So very selfishly, the art that I'm obsessed with is my Zoom session with kids of my best friends because I know it's keeping my brain active and creative in this time. It's helping my friends who need to do their laundry and it's helping these kids not stare at the TV for 45 minutes.
1: Yeah. Well, to take it to a a slightly,
2: potentially
1: darker place (laughs) i can't wait brian what keeps you up at night
2: (gasps) what keeps me up at night i have a hard time just turning my brain off at the end of the day and it's not in the like current zombie apocalypse that we're working through right now Mm. it's just let me do one more load of laundry or let me just check that last email i sent or i probably could get three more pieces of that puzzle done on the kitchen table but what keeps me up at night I feel like I should be saying the political climate of our country or like, did I wash my hands enough times today, right now? (laughs) It's not that. I mean, sometimes it's, I have to figure out how to draw Pikachu. Because that's what someone right. has asked to do. It's, I don't know. I, it's weird that even in this moment, I find that I don't have enough time in the day. So I'm trying to do as much as possible. And this is going to make me sound like, oh dear Lord, just take the take the halo off of your head. But I'm trying to figure <laughs> out more things I can do for other people right now. Because I I am very lucky. So I think what keeps me up at night is currently, have I done enough If I don't feel like I'm in a panic state right now, if I'm not feeling anxiety, have I done enough to help some others feel a little less anxious in their day? Then I finally take a melatonin and go to sleep. (laughs) Yep. That's
0: great. Yeah. (laughs) All right. We have one more question for you. All right. What one piece of advice would you give someone who wants to pursue the arts?
2: Oh, say yes. Just say yes easily because i sure did martin sharnan said end up singing your song on one knee like al jolson and they did bill said do you want to come work for me do you want to come work for me in between yes you know i i just said yes do you want to understudy this production at syracuse stage yes i don't think i've ever like hoard myself out and that's where the oprah know your worth say yes until you are being asked too much Say yes until you feel in your heart that I have to say no. And that's a tough concept, I think, to grasp. Say yes until you have to say no. But that's kind of where I live. I live in the say yes. If I can help someone, yes, I'm going to do this. If you want me to end up like Al Jolson, yes, I will do it. And it changed the whole course of my professional career. Yeah, say yes. And work with young artists, I think, as you get older. Because I do a lot of coaching and directing and stuff in schools. And then I always go back to New York and have the best auditions I've ever had. Because I start asking myself the same questions I'm asking them. Why did you turn left? What in the world are you doing with your hands? You know, I I see these things that these young artists are doing. And then I take them into the audition room with me the next time I go in. So it's a great way to keep learning and growing as an artist by doing what you do with the next generation. So I guess when someone asks you to work with the next generation, say yes.
0: Hey, thanks for listening.
1: For more information about the podcast, visit our website, www.artisticpodcast.com.
0: If you liked the episode, do us a favor and share it with a friend. It's the best way to help people find our podcast and will help support the show.
1: For updates on new episodes and content, you can follow us at The Artistic Pod on Instagram and Facebook.
0: Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week.
1: See ya. I'm ready. Are you you recording?
0: Yep, I'm recording.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: (laughs) That's not a. What was that?
1: That's not a dog.
0: Bark, 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 (laughs) bark.
1: Barkety, bark, 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 bark. I like trees. That's
0: how I. That's how I. Squirrel. <laughs> Bark. Hi, I'm Kevin. <laughs> uh, and
1: I love you. Right? Yep. Squirrel.
0: Yeah, that's it. Cool.
1: cool. Name that movie, Melanie. <laughs> Up. Yeah, I know. I was just making fun of you for I not knowing the Field of movie. Dreams. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I was the one who made the first reference, Mitchell.
1: No, I know. You did really well.
0: Thank you. Okay. Pressing stop now.